Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert-led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 926. The live version of today's show is airing on the 19th of March. That means as we speak, it's still winter. So with that in mind, we start off with a couple of kind of late winter-themed avian audio postcards. One from Suzanne V. in Michigan, and one from Phil Y. Turby in New Jersey. So we'll hear them back-to-back, starting with Suzanne and some loud friends. So I'm here at uh, Gallup Park in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it is pretty cold. But one of my favorite things to look for in the winter here along the river are trumpeter swans, which you can hear. There's about five of them on the river near me right now. Earlier, I saw another 17 on my walk. There are also titmouse and chickadees, and there's about eight golden eye ducks. That's it. Good morning from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Good morning, everyone. Here we are on a late winter morning in West Milford, New Jersey. Here with Carolina Wren and a northern cardinal starting this morning. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. Thank you, Phil. Short and sweet there. And uh, thank you, Suzanne, up there in Ann Arbor, Michigan, with those audio postcards. We'd love to get audio postcards. Just get your phone out there and record yourself looking at some birds and try to get a little bird sound if you can. And uh, send it out to Ray at TalkingBirds.com, Ray at TalkingBirds.com, and we stand by ready to assist if you need any uh, help in putting that together. Well, one of our newer Talking Birds ambassadors, Jason Wayne, lives in East Palestine, Ohio, site of that terrible Norfolk Southern train derailment, which released enormous amounts of toxic waste that has threatened the health of residents and animal life there. We were in touch with Jason to see how he's doing, and in part, he said this, Hello, Ray and crew. I live 0.6 miles from the derailment site. As far as the impact to myself, I'm well and back home, although being so close, I never smelled anything. I live on the hill above the crash site, and the wind blows constantly to the east here. Birding has really helped me stay sane these last couple of weeks. He says, as far as the birds are concerned, my neighbor who stayed during the release of the chemicals from the tankers told me that shortly after the explosion went off. The birds took off, the crows being first, then the songbirds. Three days later, he said, the birds came back, with the crows being the last to return. Crows are 
pretty smart. He says, I came home Wednesday and the next day, took down all my feeders, got rid of all the food there, soaked and scrubbed the feeders with a little bit of bleach and water mixture. He says the water was black. He'd never seen anything like it. He says, I let them all air dry and cleaned my bird baths and put up my feeders with new food. My birds were happy I had returned as I was to be home. Thanks for thinking about me and my town. We have plenty of help at the moment from all walks of life. So many of my birding friends have reached out to me, and for that I am grateful. I wish more people knew how strong our birding communities are. Please keep thinking and praying for East Palestine. Hashtag EP strong. And thank you so much, Jason, and good luck to you and everyone there in East Palestine. That is our mystery bird. I would tell you what it is, but that would kind of ruin the whole thing there at our mystery bird contest. And this is just a preview of the contest coming a bit later on. Beautiful prizes await, as always. Our mystery bird is a small, common, rather modest-looking inhabitant of pastures and old fields. It features a rusty cap, a streaky brown back, a dark tail, a white eye ring, and a pink bill. Our bird often feeds directly on fallen seeds, or may fly to the top of grass stalks and let its weight carry the stems to the ground, then begin removing the seed. Our bird breeds from southern Canada all the way down to northwest Florida and can be found year-round from the mid-Atlantic states west to Oklahoma, with some wintering in Florida and Texas. So some clues there, and the sound of our mystery bird with that famous kind of ping-pong ball kind of sound there at the end of its call. That's our mystery bird. We'll do the contest a little bit later on. Just wanted to get you ready for it. Prizes include from Brome Bird Care, a Brome Squirrel Buster standard feeder. It's truly squirrel-proof thanks to its weight-adjustable closing mechanism, and it features proven seed saver technology, a patented seed tube ventilation system, and even a chew-proof seed tray. Plus, a big bag of our favorite coffee, shade-grown, bird-friendly, birds and beans coffee. All coming along a little bit later on in our Mystery Bird Contest uh, this morning. A salute to some of our favorite people, and those are Talking Birds listeners who have become Talking Birds ambassadors, helping us spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation, which is what we're trying to spread the word about. And thank you to Beth from Norfolk, Virginia. Thank you so much, Beth. And thank you to Dennis Curry from Wayne, New Jersey. Thank you, Dennis. And thanks to Don Thoen from McCammon, Idaho. Don says, I recently joined the Idaho Master Naturalist Program, and I'm looking forward to passing along the information I'm learning on your show with fellow naturalists. Oh, yeah, and I'm passing out the cards. Well, Beth... And Dennis and Don have given us a nice boost as we march in the month of March toward a special goal, and that's to grow our Talking Birds and Family, Ambassadors family, to a total of 800 members. We're getting very close to reaching the mark, but we're not there yet. And after today's show, we'll have only one more show in the month and one more chance uh, to reach that goal. So as we've said in the past couple of weeks, if you enjoy our show and would like to help us spread the word, 
about the wonder of birds and the vital importance of conservation. Please consider becoming an ambassador. It's very easy to sign up for, and as an ambassador, you'll just hand out at your convenience some of the little Talking Birds info cards that we send to you. Just go to sign up to the Get Involved tab at TalkingBirds.com. That's TalkingBirds.com, and you'll see the easy instructions right there. Still to come today, we'll welcome a special guest who will tell us about her work with the protection, management, and restoration of beaches and bird breeding islands and coastal uplands and salt marshes. Also today, Mike O'Connor will join us for an almost live from the archive. Let's ask Mike's segment about grackles. Our featured Feathered Friends segment is presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. And today, we have something different. We could call it Featured Feathered Friends, plural, but it's really kind of a late March mini-essay that we've put together from the writings of our friend, the great naturalist, storyteller, and author, Al Bat. Here it is. Savoring the day, my wife and I were awed by the Venus-Jupiter connection. They appear close together in the western sky early in March. Both were bright, but Venus was brighter. March can be moody. It was snowing. Winter doesn't meet its demise on March 1st or March 20th. Snow brought a concert of silence, broken by the honking of Canada geese flying overhead. I saw pairs of that species battling over nest sites. Spring comes early to the southern side of buildings. I watched a chickadee and a downy woodpecker peck holes into goldenrod galls on a prairie and extract the insect larvae from within. Prairie comes from the French word for meadow. Among the noble citizens of the backyard, the squirrels have been stripping bark from maple trees. They use the bark and buds as food and may use the bark in their nests. Red osier dogwood looks a bright red, giving it the nickname Veins of Spring. Ah, the beautiful writing of Al Bat, and we'll have another piece from Al next week. Meanwhile, welcome to our show number 926. Oh, by the way, find out more about Al at albat.com. That's bat with two T's. Anna Lee Twightman is a coastal uh, restoration ecologist with a bachelor's degree in environmental science from Cornell University and a master's in wildlife ecology from the University of Florida. She's worked in coastal ecology for more than six years, focusing on living shorelines and shellfish restoration projects up and down the East Coast. She currently works with the Massachusetts Audubon Society, Mass Audubon, on coastal resilience and restoration projects. And she joins us now to tell us about some of her work and her upcoming presentation at a Mass Audubon event. Good morning, Anna Lee. Good morning, Ray. Thanks for having me. It's great. It's great to have, have you on. Looking forward to your talk as well. Uh, we, uh, we know about your master's degree associated with shellfish research. So tell us about that research and, and the importance of shellfish in an environmental sense. And I think this was in connection with oyster restoration in Florida, right? 
Exactly. That is really how I got my start in the coastal restoration world. Uh, when I was doing my master's at the University of Florida, I joined a lab that was working on a three-mile-long intertidal oyster bar restoration project, which is just absolutely massive mm. compared to anything I had seen before that. Mm. Um, we used a relatively unique technique for this oyster restoration project. We used locally sourced limestone boulders on this reef to provide mm. substrate for oysters. Oysters are relatively unique in that they need a hard surface to settle on when they're itty-bitty babies. Um, so without that hard substrate, they have nowhere to settle and they won't be part of that system. Um, and so we did this for a uh, really um, interesting thing that's not usually talked about with oysters, uh, but we rebuilt this bar to act as a leaky dam to trap fresh water in the Suwannee Sound in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, so that system grew perpendicular to the river, the Suwannee River, and it trapped that fresh water there back when there were oysters, making that whole sound a really good place for oysters to grow. But then once the oysters started to die off, there was less trapping of water, and that system just became too too high of a salinity for oysters to grow. So that was our main purpose mm -hmm. there. And the importance of the oysters there is mostly what? Oh, well, I mean, oysters are really important for a lot of reasons, but for there, it was really cr critical habitat for so many species. Mm -hmm. um, I can't tell you the number of birds, bald, bald eagles that I would see just on this intertidal reef when the tide was low. Um, but it's also super important for the local people who live there, who made their, you know, their livings harvesting oysters. Mm -hmm. So we really, you know, this this project represented more than just wildlife or people. It was both together. Mm -hmm. We'll hear a lot about overfishing of various finfish uh, species, but what about shellfish in, in that regard in terms of conflict with, uh, you know, their importance as, shell, as shoreline stabilizers and as food? Exactly. There are a lot of different uh interested stakeholders when it comes to shellfish. There are a lot of, you know, really important reasons to protect shellfish. And so it's all about a balance, right? Um, when there is over harvest of oysters, that can lead to, again, this less substrate for baby oysters, less baby oysters out there. So we all really together, people who make their living harvesting oysters, those like me who like to uh, restore oysters for more of an environmental purpose, everyone can really work together for a mutual goal here. And these oysters, in addition to being really amazing food for people and for animals, can protect shorelines from wave energy. They can filter water. They can really do it all. And some shellfish, like ribbed mussels, uh, for example, that we talked about before the show, uh, are not harvested commercially, but uh, have real importance when it comes to shoreline stabilization, right? Exactly. That is a small project I'm working on right now with Mass Audubon. Uh, we're working with this species of mollusk of shellfish called the ribbed mussel. You may not have heard of it because, as Ray said, there's no commercial market for them. People don't eat them and honestly probably shouldn't eat them. I've heard they can be bad for you. But they're the primary shellfish that's found in salt marshes on the East Coast. And they have this really amazing role in salt marshes. They can stabilize the salt marsh. They filter feed. They, uh, as they eat and then poop, they can actually help rebuild a marsh. Um, so that is something we've been uh, working on, experimenting with how we can restore and put more rib mussels out into the salt marsh. Another thing you, you talked about was um, something called, or you referred to as legacy agriculture effects. What? What is uh, Tell us a little about uh, that and what mitigation there might be for that. Absolutely. Um, more often than not, especially on the East Coast, when you see a salt marsh, you're going to see it. Uh, 
look different than it did hundreds of years ago. Um, and one of the main reasons of that is from humans utilizing these marshes, you know, centuries ago for agricultural purposes. Basically, farmers back in the day wanted to redirect water on salt marshes, making, you know, concentrating the water in some areas and making it drier in other areas so that they could use it for harvesting the hay, for livestock, etc. So salt marshes, most of them are not really functioning the way that they should be. Now there's too much water in some areas. There's not enough water in others. Things are not, you know... <laughs> not operating as they should be. And now, especially with sea level rise, we're seeing these effects amplified. We're seeing water pooling on the marsh. We're seeing vegetation dying off. And with sea level rise continuing to get more and more intense, these effects are likely to be amplified as well. So some of the techniques that we've been working with include uh, something called runneling. So creating really, really shallow channels on the marsh to drain this water off and allow the vegetation to come back. And so actually taking those pools and giving them a, an avenue to drain back into the water. And then these really small channels will fill in over time. We also do something called ditch remediation. So strategically selecting ditches, those large channels you'll see straight cut through the marsh and filling them in with, uh, with locally cut hay. So the plants that are growing right next to these ditches, harvesting them, putting them in the ditch and allowing it to gradually fill in so that there aren't just you know a million ditches draining and redirecting water in the salt marsh. We only have a few seconds left, but I wanted to get to your Mass Audubon presentation you'll be doing on April 2nd. I hope, think I have that date right. And climate change, of course, has a big, big part in this. Could you give us just a real thumbnail about that? Absolutely. On April 2nd in Worcester, Massachusetts, Mass Audubon will be hosting our 31st annual birders meeting. The theme this year is a commonwealth of birds celebrating the diversity of bird species that called New England and Massachusetts home, really highlighting this intricate tapestry that binds together birds, people, and environmental stressors like climate change together. So there'll be presentations by Derek Jackson, Rosemary Moscow, David Sibley, and myself, um, all talking about a variety of bird and, in my case, salt marsh restoration topics. All right, that's at the beautiful campus of the College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts, April 2nd. Certainly, if you're in New England, a perfect destination. And, uh, and worth traveling from as well for the wonderful work that Mass Audubon does in this amazing birders meeting. More info on that at massaudubon.org, massaudubon.org. Annalie, thank you. Good luck on your presentation, and thanks for your wonderful work. Thank you, Ray. Coming up next here, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather, the flash of a wing bar in mid-flight, you don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more, or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. 
Can we hear that bird a little louder than that? I mean, I, I can sort of hear it, but we could... Uh... There it is. That's a little better. That's our mystery bird. And this is our mystery bird contest, a unique feature of which is that you don't necessarily have to get the right answer to win our contest if no one else gets the exact answer. So give us a try. Give us a call and call as soon as you can so we have time to complete the contest before the end of our 30-minute show. The number is 781-837-4900. I'll give the number again in a moment. Our mystery bird is a common, small, rather modest-looking inhabitant of pastures and old fields. It has a rusty cap, a streaky brown back, a dark tail, a white eye ring, and a pink bill, kind of famous for that ping-pong ball-sounding call song. Our bird often feeds directly on fallen seeds, or it may fly to the top of grass stalks and let the weight carry the stems to the ground and then grab the seeds there. Our bird breeds from southern Canada down to northwest Florida. Year-round, mid-Atlantic states, west to Oklahoma, and some wintering in Florida and Texas. The beautiful Brome Squirrel Buster feeder is one of our prizes and a big bag of our favorite coffee, shade-grown, bird-friendly birds and beans coffee. 781 837 4900, the number to call in our mystery bird contest. And good luck. Up next, let's ask Mike, almost live from the archives, on the subject of grackles in just one minute. Beautio Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology, from field guides to photography skills biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautyobooks.com. B-U-T-E-O. Beautyobooks.com. Quest Nature Tours has offered exceptional tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. In 2023, join us in search of colorful bird life and jaguars in Brazil or on our brand new Zambia Safari. See amazing wildlife and explore habitats with travel companions who truly enjoy nature. Talking Birds listeners receive a $150 credit towards their first tour. Visit QuestNatureTours.com today. Birds and much more, guaranteed. O'Connor is about to join us from the famous Birdwatcher's General Store on Cape Cod. If you'll even speak to us now that he's spotted all these fancy birds there and walks around his lower Cape location. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, I had a, I had a good day yesterday. Found a, a, some red cross bills in the Lapland Longsburg. <laughs> Both birds, one bird I hadn't seen in my entire life. I've been working on it for a long time. So, yeah, I had a good day. All right. Well, we were going to talk about the the birds of Easter Island this morning because it's Easter Sunday as we do our show live. But uh, after your intensive research, I believe you've discovered, what, there are no birds on Easter Island. There are no birds. Yeah. Yeah. Who knew? Because you think, like, the Falklands, uh, just off of Chile, off of, I mean, off of Argentina, off of Chile, there's the Easter Island. And you thought, well, there's another another good birding place. But it turns out the early inhabitants but it's pretty much abused the island mm. and the perfect example of what not to do with habitat. Mm-hmm. And so now there's, there's almost nothing there. And there's in the, whatever birds, with only a handful of birds that have been introduced and all the native birds are gone. So we won't be talking about that today, right? So we're going to talk about grackle domination instead, I yeah, guess, Yeah, right? grackles are a, a, a kind of a, 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 a bird that that people, kind of, at least here in the north, people forget about because they go away in the winter and then they come back in the spring and they, they'll hit the feeders and people 
first of all, forget they were there just a few months earlier, and then they complain, and they can't even pronounce their name right. That People call them gackles and gacklings, and even my own mother called them starlings for some reason. I don't understand, but those are uh, common grackles. They'll dominate a feeder, and, you know, when people get mad because they scare away, I'm doing air quotes now, they scare away the good birds. So what can you do um, if they dominate your feeder? Most people just bang on the window like idiots because they're very skittish. But there's a few steps you can take. Um, Safflower seed is a hard white seed that some people find works very well. Other people don't have good luck with it. So I tell people to get a, a feeder full or a few feeders full of safflower seed and then evaluate how it works. It's not a repellent, so you can't mix it with other seeds because then the grackles will just eat the other seeds and avoid the safflower. So just fill a couple of feeders full of safflower seed, and that may do the trick for you. The second, the second thing you can do is they have feeders with adjustable uh, perches that close down when certain weights get on them. So when a heavy bird like a grackle goes, it shuts down the food. So it's like a squirrel-proof feeder. Um, those work fair, but the grackles are very adaptable, and they shift their weight, and they flap their wings, and sometimes it doesn't work for them. So that's another option. The option that works the best, in my opinion, are the cage feeders, where you just take a regular feeder and you put it inside the cage. Um, it's not the prettiest-looking thing, but the little birds like it. They fly through the openings in the wire, the chickadees and the tip mice and the finches and nuthatches. They go in and out. And then the bigger birds, again, like the squirrels and the blue jays and the grackles here, they can't get at the food. And this, this is what I do with one of my feeders, and the little birds love it. But there's a downside yeah. is when you when you have a cage around the feeder, that keeps out all large birds, including cardinals. And when wow. people hear that, their face turns pale like they just found out Christmas was canceled. <laughs> <laughs> so right. you got to – cardinals lead on the ground, but I would go with the cage anyways. All right. The cage it is then. Or, all right. or yep. Ray, you could just bang on the window like, like an idiot. Like that an idiot. Like okay. Bird. That's four <laughs> options you got there. That, that ought to cover it. All right. Thank you, Mike. And, and folks, uh, keep an eye out for Mike's uh, new forthcoming field guide to the birds of Easter Island. Fits easily <laughs> in your pocket or purse. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's really a light read. And one page will do it. We'll talk yeah, to you next right. week, Mike. Yeah, bye-bye. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Whether you enjoy birds in your backyard or far afield, you'll find information in every issue to help you find, attract, identify, and understand birds. Regular contributors include Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and other birding experts. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. And the Mystery Bird Contest is underway, and we have uh, Tom with us here. We talked about prairie birds a little while ago. We heard about them from our friend Al Bat, and Tom is out in the prairie state of Illinois. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Ray. How are you doing today? Doing, doing well. How are things out there? Not too bad. Mm-hmm. The, the only birds we have out here, so I live in a condo, mm-hmm. Always, all I see is house sparrows, house sparrows, house sparrows. They're oh, in the bushes, they're in the garage, oh, underneath the yeah. building. They are, they're reliable anyway. I guess you could say oh, that, yes, they that about them. So our mystery bird, um, it's not a house sparrow, but it uh, maybe is not uh, too far off in its appearance of a house sparrow. Uh, what, what do you think? How about a, fe- how about a field sparrow? field right? sparrow would be uh, probably the exact thing, as a matter of fact. Yes. Thank you. field sparrow. 
Yes, indeed. A modest-looking bird, like the uh, like the uh, house sparrow, kind of. But uh, that is right. I think we might have time for a bonus question. You want to go for it? Now, real quick, a preface. I can't yeah. take the breeder because I live, in a, I live in a condo suite. They don't accept it here. Yeah. So if you want to a local uh, birding club over there, it'd be great. Nature Center. Well, okay. I, I don't know if we – let's see. This prize is a, a different thing. This is for our um, um, our window protection kit. From, okay. Yeah. I don't know if we – do we have time to do this? Let's try it. Which of the following with a ridiculously sounding footwear-related name actually exists? A, the loafer merganser. B, the slipper lobster. C, the flip-flop lizard. Or D, the boat shoe booby. One of those is actually a real creature. What do you think? I'll go B. B with the slipper lobster. That is absolutely correct. And we'll explain why we maybe if we remember on our next show. Tom, stay on the line. We'll get your info. Okay, thanks a lot. Have a good one. Thanks for being with us. The great John Kreischer will be guest, uh, our guest next week, talking about his new Galapagos guide. Thanks for being with us. See you next week. The bird show. I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com by Vortex Optics with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert-led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com. And Beautio Books, an independent family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Studiobooks.com